Welcome, everybody, to the Space Camp Podcast. I'm your host, Torsten, with my co-host, Kyle. And today we have a special guest who you might have heard before, good old Soren, coming back to give us some commentary on a particular podcast or situation in the business tech world. And then we're going to be jumping into... A quote, um, a couple of other things. Kyle, do you want to add anything as far as the agenda? Yeah, I just want everyone to note that Soren was the host or co-host of our fourth most popular podcast out of eight. So very, very high regarded. It's a very dubious <laughs> honor. How many listens how, did it get? How many, how many uh, listens did that achieve? Were we at... Um, we were at 36 as as the as it stands right now. 36. Wow. That's pretty good. That's that's impressive. So so see kind of what caliber you bring to the table. That's why we asked you back. So one of the things, let's see here. I'm just going to jump into that weird quote that uh, we found. So it goes Old George Well got it backward. Big Brother isn't watching. He's singing and dancing. He's pulling the rabbits out of a hat. Big Brother's busy holding your attention every moment you're awake. He's making sure you're always distracted. He's making sure you're fully absorbed. Do you know who said that, Soren? I have it right in front of me. Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> I was going to see if you... I'm a, I'm a genius. I was going to see if you are going to butcher the last name. Palahniuk. I thought it was Palahniuk. It's got a silent K. Why'd you? That would, that would be his style. I used to read a lot of his stuff. Was is that from like Fight Club? Yeah, or... he wrote Fight Club. Have you ever read Pygmy? No, I haven't. It's an excellent what? book. Would highly recommend it. What have you I read? read like him? Rant, Rant, like the oral history of the serial killer. What else? Haunted. It was like this series of like short stories that were like really disturbing. He's he's an interesting writer. Uh, what's what's the most disturbing story that he wrote? Do you know offhand? Can you remember one of them? One of them was like this guy who was like in a pool, and I think like he he, he had discovered like <clears throat> if you like a, a pool in the back of a house, and I think he had discovered that online or something like that that you can if you get naked and you put like your your butt up against the the way like where the propulsion where like the the water is being filtered in and out you can get like this like really really like positive like sexual feeling oh, wow. and then it, it, i think he are you sure this was check this was chuck palinyok or was this like, just, no this is just uh this is my diary from fight club <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is reading directly around there and then he gets stuck down there and then it just like rips out i guess his like insides Oh, um, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was along those lines. It's very, very <laughs> it's a nice way to start out the podcast. But no, that's the thing about Chuck's writing is he's always super visceral. Mm -hmm. That was uh, the one of the main things in the Pygmy that I appreciated was uh, Pygmy was about like a Russian sleeper agent that was here in the United States, and the way that he was so in depth in describing like the physical surroundings because this guy was like supposed to be hyper aware. Like he would shake someone's hand. It was awesome. And he's just like. I can tell this guy's got like 22% body fat. He hasn't lifted weights in 
probably six months, but he tries to get to the gym occasionally. And he's like, I could kill him in in like two seconds. That's almost like a Jason Bourne type of thing. Like I can tell you where where the nearest gun is placed. I can tell you, you know, how fast I can run a quarter mile without uh, slowing down at all. (laughs) That's not very impressive. (laughs) (laughs) A quarter mile, like a full on. That's like one lap on the track. Yeah. I guarantee you can't sprint a, a 400 without slowing down. Well, I just start slow and then never go fast. <laughs> well, I don't think <laughs> just maintain your speed. I don't, yeah, just jog. I don't <laughs> think that's what he's getting at. All right, just, yeah, you start at a slow pace and you, you know, two minutes later, you're at the end of your You've never slowed down, not even once. <laughs> not even once. It's but. physically impossible to slow down. <laughs> Anyway, enough of the digressions of of Soren's fantasy diary and <laughs> and Kyle thinking he can run a fast four hundred in two minutes. You're putting words there, in my mouth. There are a lot of fantasies. <laughs> you are exactly what Chuck is saying is wrong with the world. You're you're putting words in my mouth, and it's fake news, Tarsa. Well, sometimes you you need a little bit of that, right? But in this instance, his point is that there's too much of it, right? Yeah, that big brother doesn't need to, the way I see it is, and it actually it's pretty true when you look at like the current political uh, and media, I guess, driven circus that the news is today. Um, so did you know that the NSA, they're storing an insane amount of data in Utah, but I think they just recently had to do a big dump of it because they had so much and you know, they just couldn't really use it all. So I wonder if they actually dispose of that or if they just, you know, put it into some other deep file so that they can continue holding on to those important files of Kyle recording weird stuff at night. Well, that's a, well, that's the thing. Like, uh, you know that they're keeping a ton of data on you because if you get arrested or anything, they can bring up your texts for, from forever like forever ago. Right. And they, they just have all that stuff because that takes up really, yeah, it takes up like no space. I thought you needed a warrant to actually have that. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's there. Like if they can get a warrant, which isn't probably a hard thing to do. If you find the right judge, then they can just take that from your, your, uh, like AT&T or whatever. They have all that stuff stored. That's scary. What's really scary now is I can go on my new uh, Pixel phone and I can search for any word and it'll go through all my texts, even ones that are archived off my phone and it'll show me about it. Like show me the entire text. So it just stores all that information too. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All your information is being stored. But I I think what this quote is trying to say is that, so like in the... George Orwell, like let's say 1984, Big Brother was, they were there, but they were kind of working like this, like the stuff that really affected your life was in the background, like them tracking your, your heart rate through the TV and all that stuff. But they're saying, I think what Chuck is trying to say here is that that's not even necessary, especially like recently, because all they want to do is keep you distracted. So you don't take a second to think about all the uh, rights that are being infringed. Yeah. How do you think that the government is actually playing a hand in that? 
do you think that they're in cahoots with big tech to make that happen? Well, I wouldn't even say it's big tech necessarily. I would say it's the media. Um, I would say big tech, especially like some of the stories you hear from Google working with China, they're, they're still kind of working in the shadows and you don't really know about the stuff that they're tracking. But I think with uh, big brother working directly with the media to keep you distracted is to have everybody focusing on, on issues that don't really matter versus really important issues like, like the government continuing to seize extra control. Yeah. So you think that they're actively working to continue to gain ground with the public by furthering their own agenda. So if they wanted to go to the Middle East, they distract us with other stuff so that when Democrats and Republicans kind of come together, they're just kind of discussing um, stuff that maybe isn't as important and they're not looking at, you know, some foreign policy and going abroad and starting all these wars. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that like all the stuff that we've been talking, like, let's look at Donald Trump in this past week. What, what is his major thing that he's been doing is ragging on John McCain. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's important at all? Is he still back on that? Because I thought he did that a while back ago. He did, but he's back on it. He's back on it because it's a distraction, I think. The Mueller report is probably coming out soon, and he wants to get the talk out of everything that's happening with his uh, lawyer and everybody around him. So he's talking about John McCain and completely changing what we're talking about, the Overton window. Well, it's hard. Like, if you're a journalist... Um, and I work at like a, a news organization, not like representing them on this podcast, but like, well, he, you know, it's the president of the United States. What he says is like news, right? But it's like the, the difference between reporting something and doing something, digging into it. It's just like a real challenge. I think a lot of reporters are having this like existential crisis about do we report everything that he says? Is it like a right thing to do? Well, I think it's good. That's a conversation that's happening in in these uh, in these journalistic out, out, outputs. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of people are thinking about it. I think a lot. Of, there's it, it definitely it varies by news organization and by things. And there's there's definitely ones who are profiting off of it because a lot of news organizations have seen like large bumps in traffic because of the, it's like the Trump bump. You yeah, get, you get more inventory, and that can sell more ads, and it can sell. Mm-hmm all kinds of things for your audience. So it's like a really, it's a hard line, hard line to get, I think. But yeah, definitely. He, he is a master of distraction, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The master, especially when you like you address him with, you know, important issues. He always, he can easily, you know, in a, it changed the subject in, in the past, you know, political politicians have been much more tactful in their approach. But he is just kind of this kind of in-your-face type of approach and will make fun of you and just kind of completely gets away from the subject, which is wild that that is tolerated. Do you think that that's like really easy for anyone to do, though, just given the nature of of news? Um, so there's this really good article on uh, Colette. I don't know how you feel about them. Uh, that Sometimes they've gotten painted in the alt-right type thing. I, I haven't really seen it. 
Um, but there was a, a really good uh, article they had on, on news. And the, the quote that really stuck out to me is what you see each night or read each day uh, from these all news radio stations is not in fact your world. It's a negative image of your world in both the photographic and tonal sentences. Senses, because nobody will report on dog bites man. They will only report on man bites dog. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. Sounds like something that's similar. Um, to but yeah, it's like the quote in you know this trying to hold your attention by putting forward stuff that will get you to kind of the clickbait stuff. Someone got bit by a dog, you know. Someone didn't get bit by a dog. Which one are you going to click on if you're yeah, like, yeah? If there if there's a, a link that says a dog bites a person, that's something you kind of expect, but you're going to click on the one that says man bites dog. You won't guess why. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of our worst, worst inclinations there. I think like what's interesting to me about this quote too, isn't necessarily like it's government that's watching you, but I think that's a very valid God kind of point, but it's, it's this interesting shift that we've had over the last like 10, 20, 30 years where people are willingly giving away all their information online like like the rise of Facebook and Instagram and people are just they're everyone's willingly recording just like everything about themselves. I mean, even us right now, we're willingly putting our thoughts out on the internet for mm-hmm. anybody. But to our our thoughts are super valuable, Kyle. That's the difference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I but I think people there's something will pay to... lots of money for these thoughts. They're not yet, but they will. Well, well we get no, a actually, they do. Or, yeah, we get a penny and a half for every single person that listens to us. So, probably sponsored. Wait, by... where's my Before... thirty-nine cents quarter and three-third cut? I should get a little <laughs> uh, cut of that. All right. Well, we can send you the point three nine cents at a later time, but <laughs> we won't say when. Um, no, but like in terms of this, I think this is important just to have a conversation, and this, you know, just because we wouldn't normally get on here and just talk like this. So it's interesting to share ideas. And then in a recorded matter, you're, you're kind of thinking about what you're saying and um, being a little bit more thoughtful and instead of just having a 10 minute conversation that doesn't lead to too much insight anywhere. And you, you click off and you begin watching TV at home like you normally do, Soren. Every night. <laughs> well, it's like, how do you live your life in a way where like, it's like the signal and noise, all the noise of all the stuff that's always around you and all the information that you have, it's just constantly growing and the news and just like everything is just constantly being hit at you always. And I think phones too are a really interesting dynamic, the change in like how people, it, we were at like, we were at dinner last night and just like almost half of the tables, everyone had like their phones on the table because it's like, oh, like the phone is more important than like the people I'm with. Yeah, that's oh, that's yeah. nuts. That's such a frustrating thing when you're with someone and then like they're just on the phone. Yeah, I went on like a date like a couple of years ago before before I got married to my wife. Um, good and, good like, save wait, there. Yeah, <laughs> last week. Uh, yeah. And it was like a first in like like on OkCupid or one of these like you know, one of these free online sites, and the girl just like spends like the whole time just like looking at her phone. And it's wow. just like, it's just like incredibly I, bad. I would say that was, a, I would say that's your fault though, right? You yeah, not, keep your attention. No, I don't think so. I think that's I'm just, uh, well, no, because you could definitely say that. Like, 
James Bond going on a date, they're probably not going to be on your phone, but none of us are James Bond. But, well, I'm a, I feel I'm a modern day James Bond. <laughs> modern day James Bond. So what you're saying is that you look exactly like Daniel Craig, a lumpy potato. I'm, I'm a, a Sean Connery man. classic. <laughs> well, that's not exactly modern day. <laughs> no. So what I was saying is I think that feeds it like the, the dating culture now or even recently feeds into that this whole cell phone culture and being always connected and never having to be bored where these girls probably go on uh three four dates a week right because it's yeah, so like I, i've heard a lot of people who go on dates to get like a free meal there was like this like reddit post i don't know if it was doctor or not but like just this girl in like new york city who asked this guy like oh let's go to dinner um uh, and the guy's like okay yeah like, where we go and she chooses like this like fancy like four-star restaurant that you know it's like 250 dollars for like a, a a minimum for whatever you pay for your dinner yeah and he's like and she's like oh you'll pay and he's like no like we don't know each other so we'll split the bill like that that totally (laughs) makes sense to me wait did did she say you'll pay before they got to the restaurant like yeah like in the in the um like uh in the tinder tinder was in the tinder app she was like you'll "You'll pay pay?" question mark that's a red flag immediately especially yeah Yeah. let's go on a date um you're gonna pay though right (laughs) it's like this 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 weird culture like you're saying kyle about like the choice i read what the aziz ansari wrote that book called have you heard of it's called modern love and he wrote it with this like sociologist and basically aziz added like this comedy element but the sociologist had like the data background about it and it is like when you live in big cities like New York City or Chicago or Milwaukee or different areas or Denver, you become choosier when you have all this opportunity right in front of you on these apps. And there's people who like look at it like a single picture of someone and they're like, oh, I don't like the shoes that he's wearing. Those are like awful shoes. Nope. Yeah. Swipe, swipe left. And it's just like, what are, what world are we living in where you're just like so... And it, I guess it goes back to the quote, like you're so fully absorbed maybe in yourself. Yeah. Cause you can, you can, f- you can fill your day with, you know, the, the constant bits of media just in your own world by, you know, doing all the different snaps you can do and all the different Instagram and Facebook shots. Yeah. It's just never like, have you ever gone like outside and there's people who'd spend like 20 minutes crafting a photo. That's nuts. I've never, luckily, that's not a very common thing in Milwaukee, but I bet you on the West Coast, it's probably much. Oh, more in, in New York City, it was super common. It's, it's, I haven't seen as much here, but in New York, it was super common. Like, especially I at, I don't think that's such events. a bad thing. I mean, like, you just got to get a good shot. I mean, if, that, if, that's, that's the thing. If, that, if that's what you're interested in, more power to you, but that you're probably not a person that I would be interested in hanging out with. That's why you don't go on very many Tinder dates. Well, yeah, true. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, I think like, I, I and I wonder because there's always been studies that show like as your social media time spent increases, usually your depression levels increase and your satisfaction with life decrease. And I think that's only going to become more and more prevalent because people broadcast the best side of themselves, right? You yeah, get, like, your photo, and you're like, oh yeah, I look a little bit fat in that, or I look, I don't like that photo. I'm I'm having the best life, even if you're like kind of depressed or you're not having the best job or whatever. Well, no, People that's don't, don't broadcast that stuff. 
Yeah, no, that's definitely like no one's like broadcasting them sitting at a desk for eight hours. They're yeah, broadcasting like live, 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 Kyle. This is like Kyle. Uh, Kyle's new stream Kyle using Excel. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Kyle. Wait, he's updating terminal. Excel. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, he has uh, two viewers now after seven months. <laughs> oh look, he's that's a hundred percent growth, Torson. He's yeah. using macros, yeah. man. That's that's Not he's living bad. his best life right now. Pivot uh, tables. Wow. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> would argue that, you know, just the, the pure it's, it's all this surface level crap. And so just by doing this repetitively, the, the act of putting your best picture out there, you're, you're kind of creating a mask, you know, of, of yourself and you're not being truly authentic. But I would also say that in your personal relationships too, you get, you're less inclined to, um, to be real with people, you know, you know, you try and just talk about how, you know, all the good stuff that's going on, which is not a bad thing to have a conversation like that. But then you kind of lose a little bit of the humanity side of things and kind of the realness of, of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just, you're making up this thing about yourself. No, yeah, it's definitely a mask. Uh, and that, and that's, I think the thing that is why it's so depressing is, you are on, let's say you're on these social media sites and you're just constantly seeing everyone else's mask and you're looking at your own life saying my life's i'm not going to the philippines every other week <laughs> all this crazy stuff i'm sitting here and i'm i'm eating uh ground beef and broccoli for the fifth time this week like i'm going in a pool and sticking my butt into the <laughs> every day <laughs> well i mean that does sound like you're living your best life <laughs> you know Man, he looks like he's really enjoying that. <laughs> Let's try that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that kind That's of like, dovetails. Oh, go ahead. No, I just think like, and but the other side of it is like, yeah, it sucks and everything. But that, then it's like people, you just get addicted to posting stuff because you get that momentary rush of like people liking you. And it's like a human thing to want people to like your stuff and like you. And like when, when you get like five likes or a hundred, even our mom, right, Torsten? Like our mom really is obsessed with like likes on it's, Facebook it's posts. I think the older generations too are kind of getting caught up in this because like I think a lot of the older generations are you know, like really into Facebook. Do you think that's because they actually know like how many people even a hundred people actually is? I don't know what you mean by that. So, like, if you get 50 likes on your Facebook picture, that's crazy if you think about it. There's 50 other people in this world that saw this and decided to push the little like button, which if, if that was, like, in person, that would be overwhelming. Getting, like, high fives instead? Like, oh, nice yeah. job, dude. Sweet picture. Yeah, you'd feel uh, like the sweet, biggest boss sweet, in the world. Sweet pose, dude. If exactly. I get like 50 dudes who are like, sweet pose, man, I'm like, what the heck? You know, you'd be feeling awesome. But like, that's the other wow. thing. Our generation doesn't interact with people as much. I don't, I think there's a lot less sense of community with uh, people who aren't that the boomer generation, people underneath that, just the internet but, generation that it, like you see thousands or hundreds and it doesn't really mean anything to you. That reminded me of that. Uh, it's always sunny where Mac puts the Craigslist ad for looking for friends. <laughs> With Just that bicep? Some, what's that? 
when he prints out the flyers that one of the bicep yeah yeah it just looks that like looks a like, penis. yeah <laughs> they're just looking for some really cool strong attractive guys to hang out with and, you know to party and have a great time just you know good guys <laughs> just get and then they get like a a huge gay bar <laughs> like following to show up at their bar oh man that's such a good show i love that yeah. show that's definitely top five of all are time. They still, are they still going? I think they have a final, at least another season that they had yeah. this year. Is it odd that the only person that really has been very successful outside of that show is Charlie? Well, Dennis, too. I mean, he's... Yeah, Dennis had that show, AP Bio, right? Well, yeah, but one show uh, where Charlie's been in a, a bunch of movies. Yeah. I, I would Alan say he, Charlie's by far the most successful. Out of, well, I mean, Danny DeVito, I but know. well, yeah, but Danny DeVito came in after. I'm he just was already established yeah. and created, the, made the show even bigger. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think so because I, I think it makes sense. He's, he's probably one of the funniest characters and just such a clown. Yeah. And he kind yeah, of, Charlie kind of is a great like character. A similar, similar thing in all of his other like movie and yeah, shows. just his voice. His voice is so funny. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> Sounds like your cat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should talk in that voice for the rest of the podcast. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, that's a great show. But uh, I think what we're kind of talking about here kind of plays right into our, our uh, topic of today's podcast, which is the, uh, the Theranos debacle. And, and I uh, think, well, it's it's interesting how you you get people wanting to show up a certain way. You get people who you know put these images on their on their social media, then they want to have the best representatives representative pictures of themselves. Yeah, um, and then you have a case like Theranos. You know what is it? Was it a ten billion dollar company? Yeah, multi billion. Yeah. All right, yeah, multi billion dollar company that purported to create a small medical device that could ease, or maybe not necessarily a small medical device, but a medical device that could easily test all the normal stuff that um, would go into a standard blood test where they need a lot more blood. Um, and they could do that based on this simple test that would take one blood drop. Mm-hmm. And it turned to be it turned out to be a massive fraud. But what's interesting is how it it sh- how it took form. And I, it definitely started off with someone being very uh, representing someone who they were not. Like in in the this, so there's like a bunch of content that's being developed for this. So there's the Originally, it's the book uh, Bad Blood that came out, which is this journalist, John Carreyrou from Wall Street Journal, who did this huge investigative report basically saying, like, oh, this is a fraud. His story. And then there's, like, a podcast that came out, and then there's this documentary, The Inventor, that just went out on HBO. There's just, like, a lot of content that's being produced around this. And it's just, like, this classic, like, Silicon Valley story about someone who's, like, completely subverting the whole industry and she elizabeth holmes like modeled herself after like her idol was steve jobs yeah and she wore even more like those turtlenecks like him copied the turtlenecks and uh-huh. everybody bought into it you know the media loved her this woman who is incredibly successful doing great things for the industry inspired tons What's of people so- 
Well, it's I think so it's just hard into to their like narratives, right? That they wanted to happen. They wanted a, a, a successful female billionaire entrepreneur to happen. So she kind of fell into that because that's where the prevailing narrative was headed, right? Mm-hmm. And I think she's she's super. I think she's very smart, and like she's like like people are saying like she's like just like incredible. She's like fluent in Chinese. Like she's just like very very smart individual in like high school and. and dropped out of Stanford, like really connected with these high influential people. She got one of like the Stanford professors to be on her, on her team. And then she got like these high level people to be involved in the board. So you had people like the, like Henry Kissinger yeah, and like yeah, George Mattis, How old was Henry Chris, Kissinger during it? Was that, he like, that's another thing is like, it's all, all old white people, all yeah. old, <laughs> like old men who don't have any any expertise in like biotech or bi- like biology at all yeah i think, I think that was kind of uh, so th- this girl growing up like one of the quotes she said was like i i've never been told like i couldn't do something like i've always been i've always had people say like you can do anything whatever and it, it almost seemed like she was she's always been told she's special and never really was challenged on any of her ideas so when she started to fail, I think that's why she started to double down and she had to prove everyone else right. You know, like she's like, that's one of the issues I think with how we raise kids now and saying everyone's special. You're, you're one of the special people. You're smarter than everyone else. I'm curious about that though, because she, she was born, you know, in the eighties. Yeah. Very wealthy family. And when she was in high school, she competed in athletics and, you know, she wasn't the greatest. So no. she, there was an understanding of that. You know, there's an understanding in terms and maybe on the athletic side, maybe she excelled in school and everything was not number one and all this stuff. Well, that's what it um, seemed like because one there of her friends said she shut down like pers- like per- interpersonally in high school and just yeah. spent all of her time in books. I think one of the most telling things about her is that wh- whoever her uncle or whatever asked her the question, you know, when she was like eight mm-hmm. years old or something, what do you want to be when you grow up? And her answer, a billionaire. And yeah. they're like, well, why, you know, why Don't do you want to be the president? Well, yeah. And she's like, well, if I'm a billionaire, the president will marry me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think there was this a little bit of a OCD or obsession with, with money. Well, yeah. it's like it goes back to the quote i think too is it's if you're so involved there's so many people who wanted this to happen and like you're saying kyle's like this like young female entrepreneur people are like yes like finally we're not getting this like all these males all these things like there's just like this movement for it and she's like a very photogenic person so like the it's like a, a love story for the media like it's a really interesting story and she's like 19 when she founds this company yeah and it, like I, like you have like bill clinton you have joe biden you have all these people who are just like fawn over her but on the other side of it, it's like they attacked everything like legally they said everything was trade secrets so like if you're a journalist and you're trying to find out all this stuff about this person and like even in like the documentary and the podcast, they talk about her b- like big breakthrough was this cover on Fortune magazine, and she had this like f- like front front page cover and kind of like just like did everything for her. And the journalist there, it just like is beating himself to death about this. And he's like, I just I like I took some leaps in some areas, but I thought that we I thought this was the thing because like, well, he trusted them. So yeah, you should trust them and. 
What is and that yeah, goes how back do you to verify a proprietary technology? Yeah. And that goes back to that. Um, you know, just in term, it's to a certain extent, uh, a journalist, they're supposed to do their due diligence. On the other hand, you think that you are doing your due diligence by talking to the number one person and asking these questions. And you think, you know, that obvious that this person is being um, truthful. Yeah. And that, that's the important thing about these investigative journalists, you know, like this guy from the Wall Street Journal who popped up and despite all the threats was still willing to go forward because he had an ironclad argument, which is super badass that he did that. Yeah. And it was like all these employees were like, Oh my God, is she going to get away with this? But you, you, you try and believe in this thing. And she's so adamantly just like, this is going to work. This is, this is what we have. And she got deals with like big, like just like way into like, Walgreens and talked with like Safeway and like like CVS just like and pride like what did which I think she was a very genius at like business is prying into these competitors and being like oh we have this like amazing thing that will do this thing for you and this other your competitor is very interested in us will you buy it without even checking in anything and they're like yeah of course because we don't want to miss out on like the next Facebook or next Google or the next thing that's yeah, what was really interesting about that uh, guy from Walgreens is he, he was a, like one of the guys that seemed like was trying to do his due diligence, like the, uh, the purchasing manager or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and, he was great. Yeah. He and they tried great. to bring him out to, to the, uh, the areas. And they said like, first of all, they were escorted from the second. So this was the there. purchasing, one of the purchasing or the guys behind Walgreens who goes and he checks the efficacy of a new idea, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, he goes yeah. in and apparently, tell more. I was going to say, apparently his family, he, his grandfather owned, they had a small New York uh, chain of pharmacies. And he, he said it was funny that uh, that like his, his family or his grandpa worked at a small pharmacy. His dad opened a second one. And then he ended up working just a few years later after uh, he graduated and had a little bit of experience. Ended up working at the largest pharmacy in the United States, which is Walgreens. But uh yeah, so he he was like the due diligence guy, and they they brought him out to to uh, was that Palo Alto out there, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, tried to give him a tour of the facility. And he he said he was escorted from the time he walked in. If he wanted to go to the bathroom, uh, uh, Sonny, the the COO, I believe, uh, followed these main uh, guys within the company. Ramesh, yeah, basically Sonny, the Malwani. number two guy. Yeah. The number two guy would follow him to the bathroom, stand outside the bathroom, and then when he got back, would escort him back. And then uh, his question was, hey, when are we going to go see the labs? And they're like, oh, we'll do it after lunch. Don't worry. And then after lunch, they just ignored it, and he never got to see anything. So I think uh, just a little bit of due diligence could have prevented a lot of this, this stuff to happen. Well, the thing is, you know, that guy was trying to do his due diligence, and what I would say about that guy is that guy speaks to having a very solid character because at the end, he's like, you know what? I can't stand behind this. And he removed himself. He separated himself saying that mm-hmm. I couldn't do my full due diligence and left Walgreens or was not associated with the acquisition. No, yeah. No, he that. left Walgreens or and his with, wife, with his wife even said, hey, when are you going to admit that you're because it was like three years later and and Theranos was still a thing. And he and he was just like, oh, I'm going to take it to my grave. And I, I I couldn't live with the lack of transparency, basically. 
Yeah. So I, th- I think those those are the people that really stand out and the people that you want on your team. And they, it's interesting how they initially had that Apple guy that one of the Steve's number two, Steve Jobs, number two guy. Mm-hmm. And the Apple guy asked a ton of questions and Elizabeth Holmes could not answer those questions. And it got to a point where he was asked to step aside by bigger people within the the board and he was just kind of, you know, astounded how they couldn't answer these questions and how Elizabeth was very good at, at deferring and, and dodging the questions. But I think those people are so important where, you know, they're, they, and I think that goes back to first principles thinking. I think that first principles thinking where you really want to understand something and get a true, I think Kyle left. Uh, you want to get a true understanding of, of what's going on with a particular idea, kind of like the Socratic method of questioning. And so instead of like, oh, you know, um, Henry Kissinger's involved and this guy's involved and this guy's involved. It's like, OK, but what are we dealing with? And I think a lot of times, you know, going back to the quote, you're so inundated by information that you lose touch with um just a, a pragmatic approach to understanding. Yeah, and it's it's like the greed human nature is like you want to be involved with the thing and you're like, wow, it's gonna completely change this whole industry and I want to be involved with it. <laughs> is that Kyle? I think he's flushing the toilet in the background. <laughs> he just walks away without saying anything. <laughs> I'm bored and it leaves. He goes to the bathroom. You guys didn't read the read the the chat. Well, he did. Be right back. Continue combo. It was the most awkward thing ever. We heard a big flush in the background. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, nice work, I was, Kyle. I was trying to think like how Joe Rogan does it, where like a guy can just leave. Continue. This but, isn't Joe Rogan's podcast, Kyle. Well, I mean that's like pretty obvious now so <laughs> uh so where, where were you guys right before you i, I sidetracked you we we're just talking how, about how you're ruining the moment <laughs> so we were ju- we were just mar- uh, going back to the idea how you have these individuals who directly contradict the the flow of the organization you know the secrecy trying to attack that trying to come up with questions that understand what the heck is going on and just linking it back to that idea of the first principles, you have to truly understand something. And that when you're working with something like this, the secrecy just completely prevents you from understanding the fraud that was going on and how she just created this imita- this intimidation um, atmosphere that prevented people from thinking creatively and getting together and collaborating. Yeah, so not even so just that. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that you have someone who ostensibly wants to do an incre- incredible amount of good for the world, but they create this culture of tearing everybody back who goes against you. And that's why I think she will get convicted for the maximum penalty or that she should be 
Well, see, that's the thing. I think I, I don't even buy for the fact that she wanted like her number one goal was to do good for the world. I think that was an ancillary goal. I think, as she said when she was a kid, her, her goal was to get rich and famous. And that's exactly what happened. And it kind of was proven by her behavior once she did start becoming famous. She uh, she had all this, this uh, armed security around and kind of just like made herself seem super important. And there was this one time she was speaking at at a conference and uh, this uh, apparently this like this uh, very esteemed PhD left her purse in, in the green room. And she, even though she wasn't in there, she didn't let the person come in to grab her purse until an hour later when she was completely gone. Why not? Well, who knows? That's what the other, the, the lady was like, who person? Like why I can't come in and grab my purse real quick. I have to wait around for an hour. And this was a person that was like highly esteemed in the community. Huh? No, it's a little bit. Yeah, the security was crazy within the whole yeah. organization. But going yeah, back to what you're saying about kind of the, uh, the trying to like knock down the dissidents, I think that that's a sign of an unhealthy organization just in general. If if if, if you just want a bunch of yes men around you, and you refuse to like answer any any uh questions about your your arguments that you're putting forward i mean that that should be a gigantic red flag immediately right yes kyle that's a really great answer <laughs> well no because that's it seemed like every single person that tried to uh tried to say anything would be fired on the spot yeah instantly just like if you questioned her you'd just be gone People like the council, like even the legal team would switch over. And I think the genius move by her was to get like was it David Boys, like this very famous legal attorney in Silicon Valley. Oh yeah, to, like giving him and his legal team stocks and ownership of the company as payment to get involved. I I, I feel like these these legal teams are just like I don't know how you could live your life and think that I'm doing something good when you're doing this kind of stuff. You're just going after people. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, their, you're protecting a company who's picking who's committing fraud. Yeah, and, <laughs> and then you just have to do it in like a sly enough way that if something goes wrong, you still get paid, but you don't get indicted. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just like they, they they just like skim off the top, and then they get away with it, and like nobody's really talking about that legal team. I feel like it's interesting how her friend portrayed her. You know, in high school as this really sweet person and having this high voice and, you know, pleasant, but a little bit socially removed. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden when she takes on this role, she wants to become more, um, Steve job, like wearing the clothes. And then all of a sudden she takes on this deeper voice too, which is really weird. I think that was the most absurd part about her was, especially with how unnatural it sounded. Because we we've heard people who have deeper voices than, than usual, especially women. She yeah. sounded like like your little kind of like the opposite of yours. You know, you you have like a really shrill voice. <laughs> Baritone, hey, you can't say shrill. That's sexist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, it, like it's kind of like when you talk to your like your little brother on the phone when they're younger and they're trying to sound tough, so they they deepen their voice, and you can just tell because it's too breathy. You know what I mean? Like, that's how you uh, sound in this podcast. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it, it just seems like, like it was so obviously fake. 
Yeah. 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 That's one thing. Did you guys, so you guys listen to the podcast, right? I'm guessing. I did. I didn't see the HBO series. Did you see the yeah. HBO sword? Yeah, I've watched everything. And they're going to make a movie about it. And you want to get, I think Torson knows who the actress is who plays her. Is it the girl from uh, Lord of the Rings? No, Close. it's not her. Or actually, do you know who I could see being it? Uh, Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. Brie Larson? Yeah. That'd be a good pick. With her blonde hair. And she's similar in appearance, like facially. Either that or the girl from Wet, uh, Westworld. The main blonde. Oh, yeah. She would be excellent, I think. She'd be good. But it's the, the real person is Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, really? Well, yeah. I could, yeah, I could see it. She's isn't she a bit old? Oh no, Jennifer Lawrence. Never mind. I was thinking what of did, uh, what did you think about about it? Documentary is pretty good. HBO. Yeah. Oh yeah, I I think that I don't think it's great. I think it's okay. Um, it is. It's interesting, and I like the like. It gives like a little bit of context to like how 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 the units like actually looked. And like interesting things like that, like like it's like it's like these visuals that you don't get when you when you read the book or when you do the the podcast. I think that it could have been like a longer series. Like I didn't really dive into like a lot of the interesting elements. Okay. Yeah, how, how long was it in totality? Like it was two hours. Okay, well, I mean, the podcast was I think three total, right? Was it? I think it was yeah. six, like half hour episodes. Yeah, the podcast was pretty good. Like, yeah, they didn't even go into the voice on it. Just like oh, really, really interesting tidbits. Yeah. Did, she, did Jennifer Lawrence do the voice? Deeper voice? No, that's the no. movie coming up. This is the documentary. Oh. Okay. I thought that I thought the movie was out already. No, I it, that the movie's like in the work by Adam McKay. And he's the guy who did like uh it was like the big the big short. That was a and, great movie. And he just what was the movie he did recently? Uh, Vice. Oh, did you Which see is, Vice? Yeah, I love Vice. It's like one of my favorite movies. It's really good. Yeah, to... it's done in that style, like that very, very, like that kind of visceral style, and it's really, really funny. Yeah, I'll have to, that's about uh, um, Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney, yeah, that'd be interesting for sure. Yeah, so he's going to direct it. I think he'll do a really good job. I'm amazed at what he's done. Um, yeah. What was I thinking of? Uh, so the the movie. Well, my my curiosity will will Elizabeth Holmes get money for the rights of the movie? I don't think so. Isn't she's like a public Colonel? figure? Okay. I don't because well, I don't know. That would be one of the reasons why I would not be excited to see this as a movie. But. Since I, I it's all like be, public record, yeah, yeah, because they're not selling you like a story that only they know. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and she didn't like author the book or anything like that. So, do you think? What do you think about her punishment? You know, she's facing like nine fel- felony counts of fraud or something to that effect, and facing up to twenty years in prison. What do you think about that type of punishment? Let's say she gets the maximum twenty years. Can I, think can I sell the case real quick? Just relative to um, you know other things going on in our criminal justice system. 
So uh, just to put it in perspective, this was somebody who uh, sold tests that were inaccurate to people seeking medical advice, and they made uh, medical decisions based off of this faulty reporting, which uh, could affect you barely anything or could affect you a lot. Um, she she uh, refused to return uh, stockholder money that – uh, wanted to turn in. There's that story of that that old lady in retirement who gave 150 thousand, and then went to uh, Theranos's headquarters and and didn't uh, or asked for her money back. Never never got uh, her investment back. Couldn't sell her shares, and is still sitting to this day saying that was the biggest mistake she's ever made. Um, given that, what do you think? Are you flipping it to me or, or Soren? Yeah, why don't you go first? Yeah. I, it's so challenging because, like, on the podcast they had, who was that? That U.S. attorney Preet Bharara from like the U, like the New York South District, and he was saying like it's a tough case because you really got to prove that they they willingly deceived people. Yeah, and it's like very challenging to do that, and it just it feels like like completely wrong that someone who like. Sells mar like like twenty years ago sold like marijuana and went to jail for like twenty years, like they could have the same sentence as someone like Elizabeth Holmes who deceived so many people. Yeah, no, yeah, and, but I, I liked how that guy responded too. And he says like whenever anyone brings up like the what about of this other person, they would say, "Well, we'll focus on them later. Right now, we're focusing on this case." What do you mean by that? So like. uh Basically, like in a in easy terms, like if you were caught stealing from the cookie jar, uh, the and then your your defense was, well, uh, my brother stole one yesterday. Like he's like, well, we're dealing with you right now. We'll deal with your brother at a different time. So like I I don't I because especially when it comes to the drugs, like I don't think anyone should be in jail for that ever, and I don't want that weighing on what this person how much time they should have to do. Well, I, 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 yeah, I would agree there. However, I think that relatively, you know, she should be put away for life given, you know, how, how unfairly so many people have been treated. I think 20 years is incredibly light given all the other types of, you know, for example, the weed, you know, someone getting put away for just selling a little bit. So. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's. In my opinion, she should go away for a lot longer. Yeah, I think Soren, you're saying that. Yeah, it's it's a very tough case, and you have to prove that they willingly deceive people. Um, mm -hmm. I think that kind of goes back to this culture of secrecy and firing people who want to speak out against the company, and you know, intimidating people um, in order to prevent them from asking questions or finding out more, not letting, you know, doing the silo effect within the company that the, these different factions can't talk to these different factions, the amount of intimidation they put onto that older experienced scientist who ended up. Oh, him. He was up. so awful. Well, it's like, like he it, so it provides a trail, right? Awful? Cause you're, you you're like, Oh, this you, person, this stop person. Stop for like, a second. What, what do you mean? He was awful. No, it was, it was awful. awful. It was awful. The the situation oh, okay. of him like yeah, committing suicide, yeah, ended up killing himself. Yeah. So yeah. what what was the context of that? It was an 
a very experienced scientist who truly wanted to do some good and he had a lot of questions about how how can we be putting this out into the public for actual um tests when it is in reality not working yeah and he was subpoenaed and yeah. he, he he was he he was like they, they the legal team was pressing on him to kind of lie and he was like i can't lie about this thing and he was just like drinking heavily and nobody was giving him any support and like his wife was just saying like he was so stressed out about it and i i think that i think that's a perfect example to the amount of timida- intimidation and malice um which i would argue is what they would need to show that there was this ill intent behind the founders of the company the owners of the company trying to promote this agenda and you know striking down anybody that opposed them i think there's where the malice comes in yeah but i don't know like, like, like legally does that make sense and like like if you're i feel like it's like a legal strategy for anybody who voices any kind of dissent and is like oh does this work you fire them and you're just like i believed in this thing and how do you prove that they didn't believe in it like if she believed in it completely you know, a hundred percent. She, I, 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 my understanding from like the pre argument from the podcast is that she cannot go to jail. Like, if they believed in this thing, even though it was wrong, they can't go to jail for it, and that's crazy to me. So I, I think where legally they can be get in trouble was so it might come down to he said, she said, and whoever can prove themselves more reliable in front of the jury. But there were certain statements that they said while trying to sell their product, like this has been used on the front lines in in the military applications and trying to use that to gain trust and and other things kind of like that where it, it, they, they've lied. But if, if, if they're not on record lying, then it's going to come down to he said, she said about this stuff. Yeah, I think in the documentary they have like marketing materials from their – like, well, they had uh, one of the generals, I think, uh, who was on the board, like, it's like saying, like, we're using this in the battlefield, which, like, in marketing materials, which Jeez. is crazy. I mean, that that might be the stuff that digs their grave then. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't, like, put it out. It was just, like, stuff they had, like, mocked up. Yeah. But how can you develop stuff like that and not be held, like, liable? Well, I think the other place where they should I be held liable was... Uh, that this was be, being used to make medical decisions. I guess they can get away with saying this, this wasn't an FDA-approved method and all this stuff because they were they were shipping it out or whatever. But it, it seems like there was multiple, at least dozens of people who used this test to diagnose themselves, and the diagnoses were completely inaccurate. Yeah, it'd be like, you have syphilis. And he'd be like, what? You know, yeah. which is like, you know, normal for me every time I go for yeah. a blood test. But. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, I've never had sex before, so I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, <laughs> you know, checkmate there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine being the virgin and getting a syphilis, syphilis positive? You're just like, oh. like how do I get that? Yeah. Well, you could probably be born with it. Well, yeah, but like if, if, if you were an adult, Having syphilis from when you were born, you probably would have died much earlier. 
<laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, it's like all these like levels. I think like in the book they go into different people and they're like levels for things like, oh yeah, you're like diabetic. Yeah. And you're like, oh fuck. Like like wouldn't that be like the worst thing ever? Like going for a blood test and be like, wow, you're like diabetic. Like you need to go on like medication right away. Yeah. I mean, and then the thing is once you go on that medication, you're basically diabetic for life. Because it, it makes you more insulin resistant. Hmm. And uh, the, I think the craziest story was the, the, the lady who had breast cancer and got her, uh, she went through the surgeries, got her breasts removed, all this stuff. She took one of these tests and it said that her estrogen level was 300, which was like the level of like a 22-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. Which is like a huge red flag to say like, oh, there might be another another uh, growth or cancerous mass yeah. in there. And then she went and had a normal test and there was zero estrogen. Which is what she should have had. Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's just my opinion. Well, opinion, and yeah, I guess there's not too much credence behind it, but the just the amount of people that were deceived and how you know there was an understanding from up top, you know, because all of the information was filtered through these people, and they were told by many people who tried to speak out and who were fired. You know, things aren't going right. So there was an understanding that things were uh, that were not correct. And they continued to persevere despite putting people in harm's way. Yeah, like 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 this, the, the Sonny and her having a relationship with him. And him having masters, yeah. Him like his his backstory is really interesting because I think like he was a product apparently according to the book. He was a product of like being at this. Uh, I forget what other company he was involved with. But... Did you read the book? Yeah, I read the book. Okay. So he was a big shot at like Microsoft, and and he was a big programmer, right? That was his. I I, I don't know if it was Microsoft. Would you you remember a hundred percent? I don't rem- remember. I think it details. was Microsoft and another big uh, a big company. Like he a... made a bunch of money at a company. In the book, they made it seem like he was like just there at like the right time and the right place. Like he wasn't like an like a creator or anything like that. He was just there at the right time. Yeah, and no, he made a bunch of money at this. And I, that's the nature of Silicon Valley, right? If you make a bunch of money, people are like, oh fuck, like we're gonna come to you. Yeah, and we're we're gonna give you this opportunity, and then it just like begets itself rather than just like being really good at something. It's just oh, yeah. You, I, I like all the guys who are like, oh yeah, I Facebook, and it's like the, the the natural, I think, first principle question is like, what other companies did you invest in that did that were not Facebook? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, because did you get lucky this one time? So apparently, this uh, Sunny guy, he originally worked for uh, Lotus, which is uh, mm-hmm. like the original uh, relation relational database, right? And then he worked at Microsoft. He seems like the biggest tool out there. I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, he had a he had a Lamborghini whose yeah. license plate was Das Capital, like the communist manifesto uh, manifesto uh, title. Like, come on. I remember, like, wasn't there a story where he had like a samurai sword or like some kind yeah, of like Japanese stuff in the office, and the guy's like, "Oh yeah, like what's." What's the story behind why you have this? And he's like, I don't know. It just looks cool. It looks super like, cool. Like, Fuck <laughs> you, man. Yeah. yeah, it's like some like super. It's probably like a like a super expensive set of samurai swords. And he's like, 
So what's the deal with that? He's like, I don't know, man. It looks awesome. Don't you think so? Like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like someone who's like very surface level doesn't really, is not really into it. It's just like, yeah, it looks cool. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Just like above everything. Like I'm not going to like be like, I'm not going to be into the history of something. It just looks cool, man. Super surface surface level. Mm-hmm. Well, what was the other license plate that he had in one of those other vanity where it was just like the re- the Roman <laughs> thing? I came, I saw, I conquered. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, man. And like, Napole- it seems like was that Napoleon or who was that? I think it was just like a Roman. Uh, wasn't it just a Roman saying or was it? I think it was, someone yeah, it was it like, after? yeah, one of like those a, Roman conquerors. What would be your license plate? Thor? Thor? Mine? Yeah. I mean, I probably would just keep standard license plates. I don't think I need to be super ostentatious. But then again, you know, maybe money, a bunch of money changes you. And you're like, when you're worth 300 million bucks, you're like, eh, I don't give a shit. I'm going to buy <laughs> seven Lamborghinis and all of them are going to say, fuck off or something dumb like that. Well, that was the hilarious part, right? Like, they're like, oh, we're so serious and like you know, all this stuff like like we're not gonna like show anyone anything but then he drives this this lamborghini that has like these custom land like custom custom license plates to like the restaurant yeah it's like yeah. julius caesar veni v it says veni vidi vici which is veni. like as uh, conquered <laughs> oh, like how does that not stick out yeah i mean oh, i've been in palo alto and there's definitely of, like really nice cars but like it sticks out yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think you have to be a special kind of person to get a a unique license plate in general. Oh yeah, I think those are always the awful people. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I, I, there's funny ones out there. But, yeah, there's funny ones, but still, like you're trying too hard. I think, man. What's in the office? Or one of the guys gets like W L hung. It's like <laughs> d- 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 well William, hung. Well hung, but people are like, are you like a William hung fan? <laughs> yeah. from, like American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy's a really bad singer. Yeah, yeah, they're really awful singer. Yeah, oh, that's funny. <laughs> Trying to find better license plates. Well hung. Yeah, that's a really so good. What one. would what would your license plate be, Soren? If you were forced to get one, like someone's sticking a gun to your head right now, it's like you need to have a license plate, and it needs to be uh, unique. Go. I mean, it'd be easy just Soren. I feel like Soren is the easiest one. It's like S O A R I N with an apostrophe after it. Can you? Do you here's one. I could do that. Here's That'd one. Be pretty awesome. M M R space bait, Virginia. Mister bait, Virginia. Mister yeah. bait, Master bait. <laughs> or Jedi, Jedi. I am. Are you lo- looking up stuff? Yeah, I'm looking at some of the good ones out there. Jedi. Super, super bad. Super bad? That sounds pretty <laughs> lame. <laughs> what about R-U-B, the number one, O-U-T? <laughs> That's a good one. So do you think with custom license plate and all, uh, do you think that they actually believed in the company? Or do you think that it's just like a sh- like in the documentary they make the point in the intro and it's like this thesis for the whole documentary is that Thomas Edison in his approach to like building out the incandescent light bulb 
basically told investors, yes, I've made this incandescent light bulb. And he like stalled for like years to build this thing because he actually hadn't built this thing. He's telling them, I've built this thing. It's amazing. It's going to change everything. And they're like, yeah, we're going to invest in it. We're going to do this thing. And four years later, he finally builds it. Like it's this process of telling people I'm going to build, I've built this thing. And in the process, he's building it out for these four years. And he actually builds this thing. And I wonder if that's like the Silicon Valley kind of myth making thing where it's like, like Steve Jobs, like you always hear these stories about them coming up to like the presentation of the software of the release of the product where they're like, it's coming up to the event where they're or scrambling to make everything work. And it's like you, you kind of build the plane as you're, as you're flying it. Yeah. Fake it is until that, you make it. Right. Yeah. So is that the Silicon Valley story? And is this just like this gone wrong? Like, is this, just like oh, she didn't have enough perfect. time to do it. You know, like that's like the interesting question to me. I think it wasn't just that they didn't have enough time to do it. I think that their, it sounds like their science was wrong. This was a girl who dropped out of her like advanced level biology classes at her freshman year. Uh, thought that she originally thought that she could implant a device that would test you and administer uh, drugs and even when she was told that this was impossible because drugs aren't, uh, the uh, inoculations aren't concentrated enough to fit inside of this tiny little device, mm-hmm. that she's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, and then dropped out. And then I think she swept up with everyone saying like, oh, you're a genius. You're so smart. But like, like coming back to the Thomas Edison, don't you think there were people there who said, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. You, you've not built this thing. Yeah, and, and they fired just like just like proven, proven, proving them wrong. <laughs> like, like it's like like, like two lab, two different like like Thomas Edison obviously like built this thing, and he was very very like. Uh, I'm he, curious he if, does, if she would if he she does would've... have a track record. Thomas Edison, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that speaks that has a ton of value there, having a track record. And yes, you know, that is a little bit inauthentic to say that you've done something already and then just push it off and push it off. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he did. Like, it's like crazy to draw those parallels, even well, though, I mean, yeah, he has that they, track What record. did they name the device? The incandescent light bulb? No, the Edison. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I, yeah. I feel like they, they, they told you all the clues you needed, like, and that they weren't done with this yet, but people still wanted to invest. And I think, yeah, I think that's the, the Silicon Valley fake it till you make it mindset. Uh, there's all this loose VC money flying around. If you're not the one grabbing it, someone else is going to. Well, it's like, yeah, there's all these companies out there who have released this grand vision. I'm thinking of um, what's like the, there's like that VR company who like, they're, they're like worth apparently like billions of dollars. Um, and they've released like a couple like short things and they're, you just like, don't even know what they're making. Yeah. Like, the, yeah, it, like people originally were pulling, make the headset. throwing, th- throwing money into this thing. I think it had like this one where like it could visualize it's like augmented reality. So you could look out, it was like someone on like a ship and they were looking out into like the, like out of the, into the waters and they were seeing the weather and they're like, oh yeah, there's like a storm coming in like two hours. 
because of like this augmented reality system. Magic Leap, that's what it's called. Magic Leap. Oh, and, I've never heard of that. That sounds crazy. And they can like, yeah, like all they you should look them up, like Magic Leap is they have these amazing marketing videos, but they haven't like produced anything like yeah. a real product. And people yeah. put, put tons of money into it. Well, I think that's, that that's nuts. Back, I think that kind of goes back to that fire video we discussed last time where, you know, or the fire festival where it's just like you can have the greatest presentation in the world, but let's look at your track record. You know, this, this fire festival guy, the main guy who created it, what was his name? Do you, either of you remember? Billy McFarland. Billy McFarland, you know, his track record was very poor. And so yeah. I think <laughs> like Billy McFarland and Elizabeth Hall come together in like 10 years and create like the next biotech company that's going to just crash. Yeah, yeah. that might not be. <laughs> you might be right about that. <laughs> but yeah, do I we think, ever I think... learn anything? Do we does society ever learn anything? Well, that's the thing. I think people always are obsessed with the story. If you can tell a good story, people will do anything. I mean, just look at like this. Uh, there, like a few months ago, there was this, that uh, lady who created a GoFundMe for a homeless man. She was like, this homeless man gave me his last $20 and he ended up raising like $500,000 for their GoFundMe. And it was, it was completely fake. The story never happened. It was a scam because it was a good story. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. They, they just like pocketed the money, right? Yeah, and they were buying BMWs, and then like the homeless guys, like they didn't give me enough money, <laughs> and, and like yeah, just just terrible. It's like you you don't even have to like. And I remember in college we took like this course and like just like changing the narrative and stuff. And it's you don't even need to like doctor images, and they're doing stuff like on the like the WMDs in Iraq, and like they had images of that. It's like you just change the caption on yeah. things and you can change the whole narrative of the story that people see things in totally different ways you take a picture and you just change the caption well just just uh like a most recent example was those uh those covington kids right the uh oh. people with the mega hats the little kids the 16 year olds and they were getting dragged through the coals being like this is everything that's wrong with society just because that's what the narrative was even though from all extents it seems like they were just standing there was that the one was that, what, what was happening with them was so that, like was the high school or was that yeah something? yeah the high school kids and then apparently there was the uh, black hebrew israelites which i don't know if you've ever had an interaction with those people no they are nuts dude um Katie and I visited uh, North Carolina once, and they were on a street corner. They're nuts. Like, they're actually nuts. You should look them up. They're, they're insane people. And apparently, they were standing there, and these people were the black Hebrew Israelites. Are, they're basically their whole thing is that black people are the original Jews, and like the, the Jewish people now are imposters and yeah. evil. Like, they're, they're psycho people. And it's like the, what's that, lizard? people movement yeah yeah we're like, like everyone's a lizard yeah except- like everyone empowers a lizard <laughs> and like they, they look at like the like the digitalization of their eyes and stuff and they're like it, what, the q q and on and that stuff oh i people <laughs> go through a wormhole all right you want to close then with the random catchphrase generator so the random catchphrase generator is 
Let the maggot obtain sight of the rabbit. Soren, uh, what does that mean to you? <laughs> let let the maggot obtain sight of the rabbit. Let I, the maggot obtain sight of the rabbit. Well, is it kind of a redeeming dude. thing? Some nasty little thing. It's it it can grow and turn into a fly <laughs> by. So I guess the way you, I, are you exposed to the world around you? Yeah, that's the way I'm. I'm. I'm seeing it more of like wokeness, as like people say nowadays. Like you're just a little maggot grub before you can get the the hard sight and detail that the rabbit can see. So let's <laughs> let's get as many people woke as possible, so we can uh, have them maintain or obtain the sight of the rabbit. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused on I'm stumped on that one. Really? I think it makes sense. Let the maggot obtain uh, sight of the rabbit. This would allow a maggot to be woke. It would like let the maggot like be able to see things as the rabbit sees as sharply as they do. Let the maggot obtain sight of the rabbit. So it's like the vision of the how the rabbit sees the world. I, that's how I I interpret it. Yeah, how does the maggot see the world, Torson? Um, just just tell us what you well, see. I mean, there's a <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to uh, you know. You, you start off in this lowly state, which Soren, you can relate, and uh, <laughs> you begin to grow into you know your aspirations in life. And the maggot wants to grow into a fly. And I think there's a lot of parallels with a couple people on this podcast. So. <laughs> I think it's like the meta- metamorphosis with. Kafka. <laughs> Turned you, into a you're fly. You're turning into the van. Well, on that note, thank you everybody for joining us. This was a very informative and constructive conversation. And uh, hope you enjoyed and we'll join us next time. Until next time, everyone. Te lo lavas. Craig, leave. Why is your name Craig on this? Yay! The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.